Hey everyone, Andrew here. I hope you've been enjoying the content that I recorded from the American Heart Association conference in November of 2019 in Philadelphia. Unfortunately, today is the last episode recorded from that session. I met with Dr. Candace Silversides. She's a specialist in adult congenital heart disease from Toronto. She gave a great talk entitled Essentials for Caring for Pregnant Women with Congenital Heart Disease. I don't know about you, but for me personally, that title and subject matter, I find very intimidating. Dr. Silversize does a great job of explaining some of the basics and highlighting the areas for uh, patients with congenital heart disease lesions and who's at greatest risk, who's at lowest risk, and ways to help to assess that risk during pregnancy. Before we start, I want to give a shout out to my friends, Drs. Daniel Ambender and Amit Goyal, who just launched a podcast called Cardio Nerds. If you're looking for another cardiology medical education podcast to listen to, I highly recommend it checking theirs out. Uh, you can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, and like all the podcast apps. Their first episode is about aortic stenosis, and it's really, really good. And with that, we'll get started with today's episode. This is AP Cardiology. And this is your host, Andrew Perry. And first, can I have you first say your name and your title for our audience? Yep. Um, my name is Candace Silversides. I'm a cardiologist from Toronto in Canada, and uh, I work at Mount Sinai and uh, Toronto General Hospital. Perfect. We are meeting at the American Heart Association meeting in Philadelphia. You gave a talk this morning about uh, pregnancy and adult congenital heart disease, uh, a topic that is, frankly, to anyone who doesn't practice adult congenital heart disease or see cardio-obstetric patients can be somewhat frightening. Just on a more general scale, though, what are the issues with uh, pregnancy and cardiovascular disease? Yeah, so I think, first of all, um, it should be relevant for most general cardiologists or ACHD specialists because half the patients you see will be women and a large portion of young women will become pregnant so it is irrelevant because you will see these patients and it really is important to address pregnancy because it's going to come their way if it hasn't already um, so i think that's just the background for why it's an important topic a couple of years ago there was a, a scientific uh, or a statement from I think circulation from circulation yeah uh, well, it was a statement just recognizing the fact that more and more women of childbearing age are, are dying of cardiac disease. It's probably for many reasons, but one is the increasing maternal age um, and also survivorship with various forms of heart disease, including congenital heart disease. But because there is more women getting pregnant, we're starting to see more deaths. And perhaps it's also related to how we manage pregnant women, because at least a third of them are found to be preventable deaths. So it is being highlighted in lots of different a lot of different medical literature that this is a problem that we need to tackle the reason that pregnancy is particularly important is that during pregnancy there's a cardiovascular stress on the heart it's a uh, hemodynamically significant load on the heart and if you start with pre-existing heart disease you can run into troubles and that's why it's really important for people to start understanding what is that hemodynamic load what are the risks and how can we prevent some of the complications that uh, occur perfect thank you uh, it wasn't in your slide set uh, but in another speakers I was impressed to see the just a matter of prevalence in that there are more patients with 
adult congenital heart disease than there are patients with type 1 diabetes or HIV you know, living within the United States. So this is a very prevalent uh, condition. Um, yeah. And I guess arguably it's a, it's a heterogeneous population of really severe adult congenital heart disease to then some more simple yeah. lesions as well. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's been under-recognized in part. The other issue is that the population's growing because of this pediatric survivorship of the, congen of the congenital pediatric population. So, I mean, it's been exponentially increasing since about 2005 or around that. So in the last 10 years is when that tipping point came where congenital heart disease became a disease of the adult, no longer just a disease of the pediatric population. At that point, there were more adults in North America with congenital heart disease than there were pediatric patients. It's just it's taken a long time, I think, for people to recognize and for the numbers to start coming up really about the burden of disease of that population. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Now, when we're thinking about pregnancy and cardiovascular disease, there are certainly varying degrees of risk for these patients. Yeah. Maybe let's start by discussing about how do you assess someone's risk and maybe in particular, what are the conditions or combination of factors that suggest to you this person's at very high risk for pregnancy-related complications. Yeah, so there's a whole art form to assessing the risk of pregnancy. Um, there's kind of a general approach about how we tackle it, but, um, but it really does take a lot of time to get a feel for the risk. However, there is some good literature and guidelines out there nowadays that can help you assess a risk if you are seeing a patient, a young woman who has pre-existing heart disease, and you're trying to educate her about the risk. Um, we tend to break it down into three big categories. We look at s s some general predictors of adverse cardiac outcomes in pregnancy. Um, and in general, those things relate to their functional status, their valve function, and their, and their uh, left ventricle systolic function. And when you say functional status, we're talking about New York Heart Association yeah, functional status? New York status? Heart Association. Okay. Then we also integrate what we might know about risks specific to that lesion. So, for instance, a in congenital heart disease, you know, we may know a lot about what are the exact pregnancy risks for someone with tetralogy of fellow. Mm -hmm. um, and so we try and integrate those general risk predictors, what we know about any given specific lesion risks. Um, and then sometimes there's risks that just we don't know of yet, but that make sense clinically. So for instance, if you have an MRI and you have a very, you know, abnormal looking right ventricular function, it it may be an important determinant of how that women will do, woman will do. It may not be in a risk score necessarily because some of the variables aren't in the risk score that have been developed, but it may make sense that that probably is an important determinant of how the pregnancy uh, will play out. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned uh, risk score, and I think you've been helpful in developing one of the main risk scores, the... Um uh, the CARPREG risk score. Can yeah. you go over some of the elements that go into the CARPREG? Yeah, so the CARPREG risk score is a multi-center study that was done to try and find out the main risk predictors of adverse maternal cardiac outcomes in pregnant women with heart disease. Um, it was originally, the risk score was originally developed in the early 2000s by Sam Sue. And what has happened since that time, Sam Sue is from my center, He's subs we've subsequently collected more and more pregnancy outcomes in women with heart disease and we've combined with other centers and so we thought we would revise the risk score that was developed now 18 years ago to see if we could fine-tune it a bit develop a better risk score so the CARPREG2 risk score is really just a um, 
an improvement to the CARPREG-1 score, the original CARPREG score. And the things that we found that identify the highest risk patient for developing cardiac complications are, well, there's a number of them, but they are related to their functional status, whether or not a woman is cyanotic or not cyanotic, um, whether or not um, <clears throat> she's had a history of heart failure arrhythmias, whether or not she has a w- important echo parameters that might affect outcomes, such as poor ventricular function, severe left-sided outflow, tract lesions, or um, pulmonary hypertension. And we try and integrate all those things. It's a weighted risk score. I haven't listed them all, but there's a number of ones. It's a little bit complex because it does include a number of variables, but I think also what makes it a stronger risk score is that it is more complex and it does include a number of variables. Mm -hmm. Now, risk score aside, are there certain patients who suggest not get pregnant or are advised to not get pregnant because their risk is just exceedingly high? Yeah. So there are some women, no matter what the risk score is or what other variables are at play, there's certain lesions that are uniformly very high risk. So women with pulmonary hypertension from any cause, women with severe ventricular dysfunction, women with severe mitral stenosis or symptomatic aortic stenosis, women with high-risk aortopathies, and there's a number of high-risk aortopathies that can dissect during pregnancy. And those, I guess, are the main ones. I possibly have missed one or two, but those are kind of the broad categories of where risk is sufficiently high and maternal mortality is significantly worrisome that we advise women not to become pregnant. Excuse me, it's really important for a general cardiologist to have some sense of what those lesions are. Because if they walk in your door, you know, most of the time, for instance, a woman with severe LV dysfunction, as a cardiologist, we focus on making sure they're on the right meds, make sure they're not in decompensated heart failure, check to make sure their echo hasn't changed, and that their BMP is within a normal range. But it really is important to remember you also have to talk about the fact what would happen if she got pregnant. Would it be advised, not advised? What are the risks for her? And also make sure if you think she's really high risk that she's on appropriate contraception, which is kind of a whole other talk. But there is contraception that's safe for women with heart disease and some that's not safe for women with certain cardiac lesions. So even if you're going to identify the highest risk patient, you also have to then figure out a strategy to make sure she doesn't become pregnant. Sure. Another talk. Yeah, that's a whole other separate discussion. And about medications that are safe, like during pregnancy. Yeah, and so that's, I mean, one other point just to that comment is there are teratogenic medications, which we would typically stop if a woman was considering a pregnancy. But so, for instance, a woman who has severe cardiomyopathy and is being treated with an ACE and an ARB, those are meds that are teratogenic that affect the developing fetus. So you also, for your own sake, don't want her to actually get accidentally get pregnant while on a teratogenic medication. So I think there's a lot of layers to think about. It's just hard to switch into the mode of thinking about pregnancy when we're so focused on tackling the immediate cardiac status of a patient and tweaking it. Mm-hmm. Now, kind of flipping the coin, we've talk, talked about patients at exceedingly high risk. Are there certain lesions or simpler lesions that are very low risk? Yeah. And what might those be? Because I, I could easily see as a practicing, uh, practicing cardiologist, seeing someone with an ASD or VSD becoming very skittish about whether, you know, pregnancy is safe for these persons. But those make up a large population of yeah. the adult congenital heart disease population. 
and perhaps these are just very safe and low-risk patients. Yeah, so it's a really good point. So first of all, before I go through kind of the general low-risk patients, I would say that most women actually do well with pregnancy. It's not what people thought at the start. People thought that hemodynamic burden would actually cause more women to deteriorate. And although women with high-risk lesions may you know, have very serious complications, the vast majority of women will get through a pregnancy, will do okay. Sometimes they'll need meds, but most women get through a pregnancy okay. So first I wanna say it generally is a pretty optimistic field. And then to address your question specifically, yes, there are low-risk cardiac lesions, things like uh, unrepaired or repaired ASDs, VSDs, PDAs, uh, bicuspid aortic valve disease, for instance, when they don't have severe valve lesions and they don't have a really significant aortopathy. All those lesions women tend to do fine and you know, have outcomes that are very similar to the normal population. Mm. You still always has to address fetal and neonatal risk. So what would be unique in that population, although the mums would tend to do very well, you still do have to address there may be issues with increased risk of transmission of heart disease to their offspring. Mm. But in general, that would be a very, a very optimistic outcome for those patients. Gotcha. And I don't think we've mentioned in specific the complications that we are worried about or trying to avoid? Uh, pregnancy can lead to complications because there's an increased hemodynamic load on the heart. There's also hormonal changes that, for instance, change the action potential and may make arrhythmias more common. The hormonal changes actually affect the arterial wall, so risk of dissection is higher. And pregnancy finally is a prothrombotic state, so thromboembolic complications can occur. So with that in mind, the types of things that we tend to see are increased risk for developing heart failure or having a deterioration in your LV systolic function, or alternatively for developing arrhythmias. Some women may have had a history of arrhythmias, but some women will present while they're pregnant with their first presentation of arrhythmias. And although mostly what I'm talking about is women who have known pre-existing heart disease, because in North America, I think most women with heart disease will know that they have heart disease, especially mm -hmm. congenital heart disease. Um, but often it is, or not infrequently, it is a time where women will first come to medical attention because of a complaint, maybe like palpitations while they're pregnant. They'll get their echo and that will be the first time they're actually diagnosed with their ASD or some other form of heart disease. So although most women know they have heart disease, sometimes pregnancy unmasks a previously unknown uh, cardiac condition. Gotcha. What about the patients who are at increased risk for preeclampsia or, um, um, or hemorrhage at the time of their, at their delivery? Yeah, so um, there's a number of risks we consider when women are pregnant. We consider will they run into cardiac complications like heart failure and arrhythmias that I've mentioned earlier. But there is also obstetric risks that are increased in certain cardiac groups. So for instance, women who have coarctation of the aorta, whether it's repaired or unrepaired, they're thought to have abnormal endothelial function, making them more predisposed to have hypertension. And when they're pregnant, they're at risk for hypertensive disorders of pregnancy and really the serious complication of preeclampsia. I think what we tend to do is use aspirin like they use in the general obstetric population during pregnancy to prevent high-risk patients from developing preeclampsia. So we have a way to try and tackle it. But despite that, it's a very common problem in certain cohorts of, of women with congenital heart disease. Regarding the postpartum hemorrhage, it's a really a big issue for some women because the bleeding can be really dramatic and really serious. In the 
field of congenital heart disease, the population that are highest risk for postpartum hemorrhage are women with cyanotic heart disease who tend to bleed easier, women with Fontan circulations. And you can imagine a number of patients with congenital heart disease are on anticoagulants for other reasons, but you've got this tricky bit of managing anticoagulants at the time of labor and delivery. And so they're also at more risk for bleeding and having postpartum hemorrhage. Gotcha. Okay. Now, what about some of the risks to uh, the baby, to the fetus um, for for mothers who have cardiovascular disease. Yeah, so that's a really important comment because it's also important to educate women that it's not just a risk for themselves, um, but it's also potentially a risk for the baby. So the most obvious one in the field of congenital heart disease is transmission of heart disease to offspring. It tends to be in the range of about 3 to 5%, except for autosomal recessive or autosomal dominant disorders. So for instance, in congenital heart disease, if someone had, say, Marfan syndrome, the transmission rates are autosomal dominant. Mm -hmm. But also outside of the realm of congenital heart disease, you know, it's relevant for mothers who have hypertrophic cardiomyopathy or genetic cardiomyopathies or other conditions such as that. So that's one aspect of the fetal and neonatal risk. But in general, the other big risk that women tend to have for their babies is that there's a higher chance the babies are born prematurely or that the babies are low birth weight when they're born. And so those are um, those are things that we follow closely. We're aware that they're risks and we watch for signs of say low gro- low birth weight or, you know, um, signs of spontaneous premature labor. Got it. Okay. We've hit a bit of a whirlwind of topics here and there's a, certainly a lot more that could be discussed. Uh, for our listeners, what are resources or documents that you could direct them to uh, for further reading and study? Yeah. So, um, The two, uh, I think, most helpful documents to look at are the ESC guidelines on cardiovascular disease and pregnancy published a year ago. And also around the same time, um, the American Heart Association um, outlined uh, guidelines for the management of women with congenital heart disease who are pregnant. And I think both those sets of guidelines and recommendations offer real practical advice about how to risk stratify women, what to do while they're pregnant, and how to manage complications should they occur. There also is a number of uh, great textbooks on pregnancy and heart disease. The classic textbook has been a textbook by uh, Yuri Elkayam, uh, but there's a number of other new textbooks that, as I said, in the last 10 years have been published that I think offer great practical advice about how to manage these patients. Perfect. Okay. Uh, Thank you so much for visiting with me today. I'll have links to those uh, two specific documents uh, in the show notes. And any like closing words or closing thoughts about people considering this field or about the areas for need and growth? Um, so I would say to all the young cardiologists that this is a really exciting field. Most of the field has developed in the past 20 years, and I think we're just at the start of figuring out how to manage these women optimally. There's tons of questions that aren't yet answered. There's lots and lots of room for answering questions, doing research, creating an academic career, and also just a really, really interesting clinical career. So first of all, I would encourage any young person who's considering it to think about pursuing it seriously, because it's a great field. Um, And this 
The second thing I would like to mention, which we haven't really touched on, but it's a really important element of care of this population, is that it's a team effort. So although I've given you the cardiologist perspective, the reality is no cardiologist could do this without a team. That team includes uh, high-risk obstetrician, maternal fetal medicine specialists. It includes obstetric anesthetists. It includes surgeons. It includes geneticists, neonatologists, and the list goes on. Um, so it really is a team sport, and that team is critical. And again, if you're thinking of getting involved in this field, it's really important that you also find a team. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Great closing words. Thank you again. Okay, great. Thank you for having me. This episode is sponsored in part by MedPage Today. You can find transcripts of this episode and all other episodes of AP Cardiology on medpagetoday.com. Much thanks to the band Broke for Free, whose song Night Owl from their album Directionless EP I have used for my theme music. It is used under a Creative Commons license attribution.